to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, so if you want to make your way there in your word. Or I wonder what you'd say about the, the banner over 2020 in your life, right? Whew, it's been quite the year, amen? I came across an article just before Thanksgiving that was published on CNN.com, and it was written by a former hospice chaplain, and there she, she talked about this idea of hospice care and how that's normally a, a narrow category for a season of a family's life where they're wrestling with the reality of death and trying to find meaning when they're passing on to eternity or one of their family members is. And she argued that we can now, because of the global pandemic, now apply that category of hospice care to our whole world. She called our world a hospice world, and this is what she meant by that. We are a community in which death is daily before our eyes. A hospice world is a world in which we are all acutely aware of our own and each other's mortality. 2020 has made us acutely aware of our own mortality. We may have grown desensitized to that in previous years, but now we can no longer suppress the reality and the sobering truth that our days are numbered on planet earth. We live in a hospice world. And I can't think of a better letter for the church of Jesus Christ in a hospice world than 2 Timothy. It is written by a man on the doorstep of death and he's helping us remember what's of ultimate significance with our brief lives here on earth. And as we look together at chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 13 here in a second, Paul really unpacks how he is dying well in a dying world, and he wants to embolden us to do the same. We need to endure with the same guts and grit that the Apostle Paul embodies here in gospel mission for the sake of the nations. 2 Timothy 2, verse 8 through 13, let's read this together. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. This is why, the gospel is why, I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul knew that and was watching it actually play out in his day and time, that becoming aware of our own mortality has two potential outlets in our lives. And Second Timothy really outlines two ways our hearts can move toward the world when we're aware of our vulnerability before death. And number one, in a, in a hospice world, we can long for earthly comfort there on your notes, so we move toward the world to secure hope. So in longing for earthly comfort, the propensity of this soul, the posture is to to move toward the world to secure hope. So when uncertainties abound around us and the stakes for following Christ were getting higher and higher, Paul himself says in this text that he's in prison for following Christ. 
We look toward finding some earthly security. We hold on to the world with all of our might. So Demas, this guy in chapter 4 of this letter, Paul laments. He deserted Paul and was disloyal to Christ because he loved this present world. And so Demas and many others, those in Asia, were departing from the ministry, disloyal to Christ in the end because they were searching for hope here and now. They exchanged earthly security for eternal security. And we have that same propensity today, do we not? It's so subtle, but I don't know if you've noticed our everyday greetings have changed in light of this pandemic and the season that we're in. It used to be have a nice day or have a good day. Now it's stay safe. Now stay safe isn't wrong in and of itself, but underlying that, that motive and that narrative is this sense in which we just hunker down and the purpose of our life is just to stay safe, bubble wrap our lives and secure our future. But securing hope through earthly comforts, it, it ends poorly for those that choose this path. And we normally do this through either sensuality that demands gratification in the here and now, or we do it through control that we try and use our, our wealth or maybe our power to live under the illusion that we can secure and show up our future. Read Luke 12. I encourage you to do that over this break and, and watch Jesus explode these two myths about how to live in the world. A rich man thought he could secure his tomorrow, so with all of his goods, he built bigger and bigger barns so that he'd have goods for years to come. And God surprises him and tells him, you fool. Jesus is clear. Only hospice hopes arise from a hospice world. Everything here has an expiration date. But 2 Timothy points us in a different direction. This is another way to live and die. And Paul is embodying it. And the second way is in loyalty to Christ, we move toward the world to spread hope. In loyalty to Christ, we move toward the world to spread hope, not secure hope. And this orientation of the soul looks beyond the world at the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for sinners, how he lived a perfect life, how he died the death that we deserve, and how God raised him on the third day so that we and all who might believe in him would have eternal life in him. They displace that hope in the world that they're trying to grasp for, and that hope settles in on their hearts and minds. And instead of holding on to the world, they actually hold out that hope to the world. And this letter is a rallying cry to courageous gospel mission from a man on the doorsteps of eternity. Paul summoned Timothy, his child in the faith, to loyalty to Christ no matter what the earthly cost. And actually the intended audience is broader than Timothy. The last you in the book in the last verse is grace to you all. Meaning this letter would have been circulated around the church. Why? Because what Timothy needed, we need. And that's backbone to endure for the sake of the gospel in the world. Just listen to these verses. Chapter 1, verse 8. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, Paul writes. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Chapter 2, verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Chapter 4, verse 5, endure hardship 
do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Can you imagine how odd it would be to sit down with the Apostle Paul and end the conversation with stay safe after hearing those verses? Stay safe. Keep your head down, Timothy. That was not his word for Timothy, and that's not God's word to us today as a church. Suffer hardship so that others might have hope. Stay faithful. Stay loyal no matter what the cost. This is a rallying cry to courageous gospel mission. I think a great subtitle for the book, for the letter to Timothy, would be Guts and Grit for Gospel Mission. Guts and Grit for Gospel Mission. Now think... We oftentimes can kind of punt that decision down the road when we're facing death, but N.D. Wilson in his book, Death by Living, presses in on the urgency of that decision is actually now. Which path are we going to take? Secure hope or spread hope? Shall we cross, this will be up on the screen for you, shall we cross the finish line for ourselves or for others? The choice isn't waiting for us down the track. The choice is now. Death is now. The choice is here. Lay your life down. Your heartbeats cannot be hoarded. Your reservoir of breaths is draining away. You have hands. Blister them while you can. You have bones. Make them strain. They can carry nothing in the grave. I can be giving my fingers, my back, my mind, my words, my breasts to my wife and my children and my neighbors. And I would add to the nations where I can grasp after the vapor and vanity of life for myself dragging my feet, afraid to die, and therefore afraid to live. And like Adam, I will still die in the end. Living is the same thing as dying. Living well is the same thing as dying for others. In a hospice world, how are we going to cross the finish line, Church of Brook Hills? Are we seeking to eliminate risk for ourselves and evade it as long as we can? Or are we embracing risk to stay faithful to the gospel so that others might hear the hope that we cherish. This was Timothy's dilemma. This is ours today. Where is your life trending? Just do a catalog of the last three months. Look at the trajectory of your prayers, your finances, your worries, your habits. Are they trending toward holding on to this world that's going to slip out of your grasp one day? Or are they trending toward holding out hope to the world that desperately needs it? Will we cross the finish line for ourselves or for others? Paul's answer is clear. What about ours? The backbone to live and die well, to die for others, stems from living life backwards all through this letter. Living backwards means we we live with the end in mind. And there on your notes, living life backwards keeps us from turning back from following Christ. This is what happens with a soul that lives backwards. Living backwards means we live... And the tension of two realities. One is that we live knowing our days are numbered. And two, we know that our actions are weighed by the judge of the universe. And those two realities shape this, this backward bent on life that actually enables us to press forward in gospel mission for the sake of those that need it. So where do we get the guts and grit to advance in gospel mission for the sake of the nations? Gritty endurance for gospel mission in this passage finds its fuel in three convictions. Number one, remembering Jesus pioneered the path from suffering to glory. Remembering Jesus 
pioneered the path from suffering to glory. Look at the command in verse 8. That drives the whole passage. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David. So remembering the specific path that Jesus' story, how, it, how he moved through suffering to glory, reinforces our resolve to persevere. Grit for the gospel is born out of remembering Jesus Christ and his story. And Paul particularly highlights how, how Jesus persevered and now reigns in glory. And how he, he looks back at death, never to die again. He is risen from the dead. And he is the promised king from the line of David who reigns forever now in glory. And you can just sense this exuding confidence from this prisoner of Rome. Just how small that Rome's empire is on the forever kingdom of King Jesus. Jesus is king, Timothy. Jesus is king, church at Brook Hills. To him alone we owe soul allegiance. When we drift toward the world to find security, you know what's drifted from our gaze? The specific glories of Jesus. So Paul commands Timothy and us today, remember Jesus Christ. He is our pioneer who paved the path through suffering to glory. And watch his story on repeat in verses 11 and 12. What did he do? He rose from the dead. He was descended from the line of David, which means he's a king. And watch his story on repeat for those who are united to him by faith. Verse 11. For if we died with him, what will happen? We will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. There's a also dynamic to the Christian life. Just as it was with Jesus, so it will be with us. Dead life, enduring, reigning, grit, glory. We mirror his story. I mean, if you'd have told Paul, stay safe, he'd be like, bro, I can't get any safer than I am. And he's in prison and he's knocking on death's door. I, union with Christ, that's all we need. Being united to Christ through faith in his name and through faith in his work is the safest place to be. He interposed his precious blood to rescue us from danger. We just sang about it. Earthly risk, for Jesus' sake, carries no eternal risk. Paul got it, and he wants us to get it this morning. We will reign with him, but no longer in a hospice world, church. Where death is no more, we will reign with him. And I think we have this inner doubt and dialogue that we introduce with ourselves, that if we give too much on this side of heaven, we will regret it in the end and be impoverished in the end. We're fine somehow with Jesus delivering us from our past sins, but we haven't made the transfer to realize that his story defines our future in glory. Think about Jesus' vantage point on death. He endured death in obedience to his Father, and he looks back with no regrets. In church, we will too when we follow in his stead. The second source for the grit needed to endure in this mission is Number two, remembering the loyal lineage that brought the gospel to us. Remembering the loyal lineage that brought the gospel to us. Paul is trying to infect Timothy with a virus and his courage for the gospel. And he ends verse 8 with, according to my gospel. This recounting of Jesus' life and his forever reign now. It's according to my gospel. And this is what caused Paul such earthly heartache. Verse 9, I suffer for this message, he says. Verse 10, I endure for this message. It's all about the gospel for the Apostle Paul. And he wants us to recenter our lives and recalibrate our lives based on eternity 
But that personal pronoun is so instructive, according to my gospel. He could have said, according to the gospel, and been on safe theological ground. But Paul attaches the messenger, my, to the message, the gospel. Because he wants both ringing in Timothy's ears. He wants his example kind of resurrected over this scene in Timothy's life to remember who brought him the gospel. And why is this significant? This is all the way through the book of 2 Timothy. People have lined the way in Timothy's journey to bring him to this moment. His mom, his grandmom in chapter 1, and Paul himself in chapter 1 and chapter 3. It's as, as if he resurrects their examples so that Paul, uh, Timothy might be emboldened to embrace risk in this moment. And bind him to the mission. Loyalty stems from a long lineage of loyal followers. And we want that culture here at Brook Hills. I imagine us like, like Rocky, you know, in those fights when he is being pummeled. I don't know how he gets up, right? Uh, and what comes to mind when he's delirious on the ground and he can't, there's no earthly reason why he would get back up. Mickey, right? That smoky, raspy voice. Get up! With his one eye, right? Get up! Get up! Right? Apollo Creed, right? Adrian, they popped through his mind. That's what 2 Timothy is doing. Timothy, remember, Eunice, Lois, Paul, remember, get up for the gospel. We want that culture here as a church. That's why one of our core pursuits is we risk intentionally. We don't want a culture that, that cocoons ourselves from the needs of the world. We want to impart backbone. We want people to think twice before defecting from Christ because there's a pronoun in front of their gospel of one of you invested the gospel in them. Like Brian Massey, who's investing the gospel in my son, Simeon. Brian stands in that line for him. Like Lindsay Tillman, who's investing that gospel in, in my daughter, Emma. And before they defect, I want those images. Brian's faithfulness, his courage to follow Christ, Lindsay's faithfulness, her courage to follow Christ, to be living and breathing examples of what it takes to be loyal to the gospel. Oh, for a culture as a church that that pushes away the worldly narrative of stay safe. Let's be a, a culture that imparts backbone and embraces risk and keeps the chain going for future generations. The third conviction that drives gritty endurance for the gospel is, number three, recognizing the mission cannot fail. Recognizing the mission cannot fail. Paul explains his rationale in verses 9 and 10 for why he's enduring all this. And if you were to squeeze these verses, I think what would ooze out is just this courage and confidence. One time we lived in, uh, back in, what, 2013 or so when we were in Turkey, we went to this meeting right outside of our city. And in Turkey, they have these guys and gals that are hired by hotels to organize fun around the pool in the afternoon. So these guys organized, we were there for a meeting with a bunch of Americans, so 10 or 12 American guys on one side of the pool, 20 to 30 Turkish people on the other side of the pool, and we were gonna play tug of war. The first one to get wet loses, okay? So we're pulling and grunting, you know, American pride, whatever. We're, it's all on the line. We're bli you know, blistering our hands. And then Russ, the guy in front of me, falls in. I fall in. We lose the match. So as they're kind of laughing and scattering, we realize that the organizers of this game had tied their rope to a tree. <laughs> so not only were we pulling against out, outnumbered, right, uh, in terms of body mass, we were also pulling against an immovable tree. Now, Paul, in this passage, sees himself on that side of the pool because what's fueling his mission is the immovable gospel. All he's got to do is hang on long enough and the gospel will win. 
The mission cannot fail. Look at how this imparted this gritty confidence. Number one, there, the gospel cannot be suppressed. Verse 9, he says, I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. I mean, think of Paul. He's, he's got his ambition set on the unreached of Spain, but he's stuck and bowing to every wish of Rome. So many more people to wish, but he to reach with the gospel, but he realizes the whole mission doesn't rise and fall on where he is. The messenger may be locked up, but try and handcuff the gospel, oh mighty Rome. <laughs> You're going to find yourself in over your head. The word of God will not bow to your wishes. For sure, the human heart can devise ways to put up a fight against the gospel, but when God says enough, that God will say enough, and that human heart will bend. 2020 has been a year that has felt so limited as your global pastor and as the global team. No short-term teams, but maybe one or two got out in January, and our global footprint just has not looked the same this year. We felt very limited, but church, the gospel, and COVID, there's no match. The gospel wins every time. I wish I could tell you story after story. Indonesia, Afghanistan, Nepal, China, Singapore, and the list goes on and on. You have been a part of seeing and fueling the gospel's advance all over the world. And we want you to hear those stories this coming month. So we're going to tell some in our gatherings. We're going to tell some. Our long-term partners will be in this room, the community room at 930 and 11 during our December, first three gatherings in December, but we're also going to send you via the website and social media some stories about how your giving last year to Global Offering has fueled the advancement of the gospel despite COVID's limitations. So we want you to read them as a family or a small group and take some time just to rejoice that COVID is no match for the gospel. A new believer that's in the Middle East that one of our teams is working with really gets this. She lives in a conservative Muslim land and now has a target on her back because she has decided to follow Christ. And there was evidence for a season that, that, that other people, like government officials, were tapping into their phone conversations with our team members. And so our long-term missionary there on the ground decided to turn off her phone for a few days just to let things kind of die down. And this new believer from this land, when they finally re-engaged and re-met up, She's like, where have you been? I haven't been able to get in touch with you. And, and the long-termer explained what was going on. And she said, listen, I am probably going to prison soon for this faith. I need you to, to download everything you got, every story that I can tell in prison, every passage I need to memorize so that I can make it through prison. Because it's headed my way. If they're listening, so what, sister? I need you right now. I don't have long. So turn your phone on. She gets it. She gets the guts and grit needed to advance the gospel. She's on the world to spread hope, not secure hope. And let them lock her up. It's only going to open a door for the gospel where she ends up in prison. The second conviction that drove Paul to realize that his mission had to succeed was the gospel will succeed at saving sinners in verse 10. This is why I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Paul's wording reveals that he's not banking his hopes on an uncertainty, but a certainty. He's not talking about enduring all things for the sake of the lost, or the perishing, or the nations, or the Gentiles, or those unbelievers out there in the world. No, he says the elect. Why? Because 
the sovereignty of God's grace is pulsating through his endurance. He endures for the sake of the chosen people of God that the gospel will save and gather for the end in gathering. God has the gospel, designed the gospel to succeed at saving some sinners. We don't know who, so we share with everyone we can. But we know some will come. The outcome was never in jeopardy. Paul isn't banking his endurance in his life on some wishful thinking. He's banking his endurance on the power of the gospel to save sinners. Hold the rope long enough and they will come. That's Paul's motto. He saves whom he will, so let's sow broadly. The third truth that infused backbone to the Apostle Paul is the gospel will satisfy there in the last part of verse 10. This salvation that is obtained by the gospel and through the endurance of Paul is is in Christ Jesus, and Paul adds, and with eternal glory. Earthly grit gives way to eternal glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying to us this morning, and God is saying through Paul, do the math for kills. We need a massive recalculation. Loyalty to Christ might cost us something here and now. But it's only here and now. It's not forever. Eternal glory awaits us. And the opposite is also true. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And I think these words point to to how Christ is unlike us. We can kind of change the rules and barter our way out of obedience and costly obedience particularly. But Christ is unwavering. He's unchanging. If we are for him, he will be for us on the last day. If we deny him, we, he will deny us on the last day. In that last verse about our faithlessness and his faithfulness, I think it's normally taken as an assurance that he will pardon us no matter what. But I don't think that's the emphasis of this context. Thankfully, that is, that is true in Christ, right? Romans, Hosea, you can read how our unfaithfulness will never nullify the faithfulness of Jesus. But this text is pointing in a different direction. He is faithful to himself. Faithful to judge if we betray him. Faithful to give joy as we follow him. He is steadfast when the world is not. So the point is this. The only safe path in a hospice world is to follow him. That's that's the point. The only safe path is to follow him. Just a few weeks ago, we were... We were uh, made aware that there was a massive earthquake in the city we used to live in, in Turkey. It registered 7.0 on the scale, and and you can see buildings just crumbling online under the the shaking absorption that they were going through at that moment. And there's this heap of dust and fallen concrete, and people were trapped underneath the rubble for days, and many have perished. Some of our friends that still live there went on a walk around town just to see the damage and pray and and as they walked, they saw this, this unbelievable scene as they would come up on apartment complexes that had, had been crushed under the weight of this, this earthquake. Crowds of people. Some of them were dressed up in kind of gear that would enable them to go and engage with the rubble. And some of them had keys in their hands because there was ambulances and cranes and backhoes nearby. Some of them were just a crowd that was just waiting and family. And so they're, they're all kind of surrounding these, this destruction zone. And they are perfectly silent. Because they're, they're waiting for any sign of life. Any scratch. Any muffled voice. 
anything at all. And they would just rush over to that area to try and dig up and find life. And I waited all weekend to hear about a friend of mine that I knew was underneath one of the apartment complexes. And at 7.22 on Sunday morning, right before I came to our gathering, I I learned that he didn't make it. And that morning I sat right up there in our stadium seating and I just could not, could not fathom singing about the gospel knowing Ali had just perished. And as I looked down at you all cherishing the gospel and singing of the gospel, I had this vision of us as a church just being silenced by this word. And we would get rid of anything that desensitizes us to the world around us, that we would have this heightened sensitivity to the eternal significance of our moment and our mission, that we would rush to hold out hope to a hospice world and be quieted by this text. So Brook Hills, I just want to zoom out for a moment as we consider the season that we're entering as a church We want to to think about the global offering in the month of December because it's the way we fuel our global mission to bring this gospel and spread this hope around the globe. The global offering is a fund set aside to to fuel the advancement of the gospel by sending and sustaining midterm missionaries and long-term missionaries and strategic partners and projects all around the globe. There's even part of it that's set aside for crisis relief. Because who knows what 2021 is gonna, we're going to face, right? And so that all is, is stewarded by a team that is representative of you all. And we discern where God is leading us. And we all play a part in making this a reality. So we want you to engage in prayer this week. About how your life is trending towards spreading hope or securing hope. And just engage. God, how can I, can I dig deep for the sake of the advancement of the gospel this year? We're going to give more and more stories in December, like I mentioned earlier. But right now, I just want to open up a little bit of the underneath the hood discussion that we have as a global team and as city ministries as we think about the impact that we want to have as a church. I want you to hear the strategy as well of what drives our funding and our mission. By God's grace, we desire there on your outline, you don't have to fill in any blanks, but it'll be on the screen. We desire to be a church that will proclaim the gospel to everyone everywhere in order to make disciples. This is why we end each gathering with the Great Commission. Because we want to recommit ourselves to the main task entrusted to the local church, the Great Commission. And the global offering functionally places people all over the globe that proclaim this good news. The only news that doesn't expire in a world of hospice hopes. Secondly, we want to be a church by God's grace that will leverage our lives to meet pressing eternal and earthly needs. This is our stewardship. We want us to think of our life differently, not leveraging for our security, but leveraging for other security. Our time, our treasure, our talents to meet pressing needs around the globe. Keeping in mind the one thing entrusted to the church is to meet the eternal need through Christ Jesus and the proclamation of the gospel. And 2020 affords us a great opportunity. There's a guy in in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. His name is Onesiphorus, and he's a household guy. He's a family man. He's got a household that Paul greets in chapter 4 of this letter. We don't know what happened to him, but we know what he did do. He stayed loyal to the gospel. And how did he do that? 
He diligently searched for Paul when Paul was in prison in Rome. And he asked around, putting a target on his back, risking his neck so that he could deeply refresh Paul. And when he found him, he did it. And we have that kind of opportunity in 2020. Yes, previous years, maybe we gave out of an abundance, right? But maybe 2020 is a year that we give out of no bonuses, right? No, out of our poverty in a sense, we we can invest in the nations and we can tell our missionaries scattered across the globe, we are here with you. We are in the trenches with you. We put our necks out there with you. We're okay if the target is on our back, if there's an earthly cost this year. I mean, all, all my thoughts have been trending in one direction about a month ago of tempering my expectations for global offering this year because of the financial realities we're in as a world. But that's not our hope. Our mission's bigger than this, right? Thirdly, we want to be a church that will advocate for the least reached and most vulnerable. When we look at the world, we pray and we prioritize those people groups that have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And our global offering is channeled toward those least reached peoples. Two to three billion people on our planet have yet to have the ability to obey verse 8 in our passage, which says, remember Jesus Christ. Why can't they obey that? Because remembering someone actually means that you have prior knowledge of that person, and these nations have no prior knowledge of the true Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be least reached. Fourthly, where no church exists, we will plant new ones. That's our whole motto as a church. We want to plant churches in order to make disciples. Where the church exists, we're going to nurture those churches. We don't have to reinvent the plan. God's plan A is through local churches, he will reach the world and display his glory. We don't need to create anything else. Then lastly, we want to be a part of training faithful leaders for the global church. So this is what channels our giving and our going We want to proclaim the gospel, leverage our lives, advocate for the least reached and most vulnerable, plant new churches, nurture them, ones that do exist, and train new leaders. And I have this mental image of us based on this text this morning from 2 Timothy of just being quieted. There are so many secondary causes just chirping at us. May the volume of them just go there'd be this hushed silence so that we as we're kind of enveloped around the world as a community of faith might endure hardship as good soldiers of Christ Jesus we would remember Jesus Christ Brook Hills shh just be quiet and let's recenter ourselves on courageous gospel mission for the sake of the nations our mission cannot fail so let us go with resolve let us Pray with resolve and let us give with resolve this year. If we endure with Jesus, we will reign with Jesus. Let us hold out hope and mind you, the only hope to this hospice world.